there is going to be a yeah. separation of humanity where people who love astronomy and dark skies are all going to live on one side of the planet. It's yeah. not going to be a very populated side of the planet. Even better, lesser problem with light pollution. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody else will be under the moon. So, werewolves, all the werewolves will be on one side. <laughs> Welcome to What the If. Philip Shane, documentary filmmaker, here with uh, Professor Matthew Stanley of New York University in beautiful frozen Greenwich Village. Greenwich Village, yes. How are things there? Is it cold? Uh, it is extremely cold. Um, construction continues unabated, so it is both cold and noisy. <laughs> the worst of both worlds. Yeah. The polar construction vortex. <laughs> yeah, I could well believe that this came hurtling down from the Arctic. <laughs> we have a packed show for you today, fellow ifers. And so uh, I'm gonna I'm just gonna jump right in. Just gonna jump right in. Coming up in 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 uh, a little bit, we're just gonna hit the we're gonna hit this the if the big if of today, provided by uh, super ifer Kyle Crichton, one of our uh, Champion ifers. In fact, everyone, uh, if you already know, if you've listened before, you know that if you submit an idea to us that we end up using for the show, you receive a finger puppet. This will be Kyle's third finger puppet. Triple crown, the triple crown. You can have up to 10 crowns in this game with your fingers. That's a lot. That's a lot. But first, let's just jump right in. Uh, we, have, we have such a big community growing. We have a fabulous mailbag to get to. Here we go. Quick shout out to everyone who has sent, sent in a tweet or, or an email to us at feedback at whattheif.com or on Twitter at, f- uh, what is our thing? What the If Show, at What the If Show on Twitter. We do read them all. If I don't reply to everyone, I try to, um, but we do read them all, and we thank you very much. First, I want to throw out a quick, big thank you to Guy Raider. Uh, Matt, we have a brand new review on iTunes, which is always a special thing. What did Guy have to say? Guy says, if you like science, this is his review of our show on, on iTunes, if you like science, you like to think. That's great. That's a great headline right there. Oh, his, by the way, the headline is Fun, Informative, and Informal. Five stars nice. by Guy Raider. Uh, if you like science, you like to think. And you like... Uh, I'm sorry, sorry. Let me redo this. If you like science, you like, and you like to think, and you like podcasts, that's a hmm. big Venn diagram there, you are going to like What the If. The premise is great. Thank you, Guy. The hosts are honest and funny. <laughs> That's, that's a good combo, because the tr- truth in comedy. Yeah, that's right. They make a great duo. Well, thank you. Every episode, you get a different premise. So here, if you're new, by the way, this is a fabulous discussion. If you're new to What If, welcome. And, and Guy's going to describe it for you. Every episode, you get a different premise, which gets discussed in detail, but with some really wonderful segues, anecdotes, and fan factoids. Mm-hmm. 
Professor right. Matthew Stanley is a real gem. Huh. That's right. I agree. He and Philip Shane's banter is excellent. Well, thank you. And also, thank you for spelling my name correctly, Guy. One L. <laughs> Just one L. That's all my parents could afford. Philip's true craving for knowledge is evident. Well, thank you. And Dr. Stanley, I presume, is able to deliver answers in spades and in an accessible style that manages to not pander. Fantastic. That is absolutely true. It's akin to listening to an intimate lecture. Guy, thank you. That's a really wonderful review. And, and, and I hope, guys, uh, wonderful thoughts there will inspire you, those of you who've haven't reviewed yet, um, maybe you've been meaning to and just haven't yet, take two seconds and just, here's the easiest way to do it. Go, if you, if you don't know the link or anything, you don't want to search iTunes, it's, it's crazy simple. Go to our website, whattheif.com. Click on subscribe. You can subscribe if you haven't already, but that will also, if you click on iTunes, it'll take you right to the uh, review. You don't have to write words, beautiful poetic words like I did. Uh, if you can just give us five stars, that's fantastic. But if you can write a few words, even better. And we will read it on the show. Thank you, Guy. Welcome to the Iffing team. Okay, the mailbag is bursting. Fire up the... I love this music. It's a hoedown. Here we go. Fire up the hoedown. I hope you, I pronounce your name here correctly. Rick Tetro, T-E-T-R-A-U-L-T, at ADM Marius. Admiral Marius? I don't know. Hmm. This is all, these, are, these are all coming from, from our Twitter mailbag. I just finished the Pigeon Brain Show. And that's a couple episodes ago. One of you used the term, quote, in real time. And that's been tying my brain in a knot ever since. <laughs> Is there such a thing as real time? Um, well, this is a complicated question. You know, there's a subjective sense of time, uh, which of course passes differently for different people in different sort of circumstances. So usually if you say something like real time, we're thinking we're referring to a clock or some kind of timekeeping device. But even with that, relativity can still mess with you. So in, in relativity, we have a, a thing called proper time, which is when time dresses up very nicely in a suit and tie. Ooh, I did not know about proper time. Yeah. So it's probably uh, too much for just the mailbag segment, but uh, it was something we can mess with in a, a, another episode is uh, exactly what do we mean when we say real time or correct time. Um, turns out to be a tricky thing. Wow, very cool. Proper time. I've not heard that expression before. Mm -hmm. I'll look for that. All right. Rick, we're going to put that on the, um, the, uh, our, our deep uh, and mind-bending idea list for future shows. So you may get a finger puppet in the future. Stay tuned, Rick. And thank you very much for submitting that uh, fabulous question. Here we go again. Uh, another one. I had uh, posted, as I do, by the way, this mailbag is also in the kind of a news segment because a lot of people are responding to interesting headlines that uh, I have posted. Eon Magazine, among our close animal relatives, only humans have involved and empathetic fathers. This is one for you. You say empathetic fathers? Yes. Why did evolution favor the devoted dad? 
very interesting article there. PC Young, hashtag New California, as he goes by, at Conservative Amator, uh, says, good point. Care for the old the in- and the infirm is to care for our future selves. And yet it also preserves attained wisdom. Hmm. So shout out to fathers and old people. Oh, nice. <laughs> Alan Boyle posted the magnificent picture of... Uh, have you seen the picture of the um, Ultima Thule from uh, the New yes. Horizons? Yes. Amazing, yeah. right? Kind of looks like a snowman. Well, the, the, the newest, highest resolution yet photograph uh, got uh, sent back. And Alan Boyle had tweeted, Ouch! New Horizons 2015. At New Horizons 2015. The probe New Horizons sends a sharper image of the space snowman with a bashed-in face. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, her wonderful fan, uh, Linda Grable, G-R-A-B-I-L-L, at Linda T2957, says, Poor, poor snowman! Exclamation mark. I agree, Linda. Poor, poor snowman. And yet he may look, I'm guessing that he, she looks at snowmen on Earth and says, look at their fat faces. <laughs> what are those carrots? Yeah, what's with the carrot? <laughs> uh, here's a personal just shout out and a thank you to uh, Oshu ILC who tweeted at What the If Show. Hi there. Thank you for the follow. Followed them. And they said, I loved being Elmo. That is a documentary I did. Glad your work is getting appropriately cited indeed if, by the way if you're interested in any of that any of my documentary world you go to philip shane that's one l philip and you can see so many things there including being elmo wrapping up the mailbag from uh miguel bento our super fan in south africa uh responding to an article about panspermia mm. the concept that was or was life on earth did life on Earth begin? Were we seeded? Did something arrive? Panspermia. I personally don't love that word. It's a little bit. It's not a great word. A little bit graphic. But uh, Miguel says, anecdotally, I heard that the ancient astronaut theory is much more likely to have that is like, like panspermia. I guess the idea that Earth was seeded by life from outside. I heard that the ancient astronaut theory is much more likely to have occurred than life beginning organically on this Earth. Not sure as to the accuracy. Well, I'm not sure how you measure the odds for either of those. Um, So I think it's really a question of what what you find most persuasive. Oh, that's good. So, So this is right. This is where we don't have evidence either way. Yeah. I mean, we've got... You can... You can certainly accumulate evidence for either, but whether or not you're fully persuaded is a more complicated thing. So do you believe life began? This could be a good poll. Maybe I'll put this up on Twitter. I mean, these fun sure. polls. Sure, good idea. Do you believe life began in a warm pond on Earth spontaneously through some chemical interactions? Or do you believe a fleet of sperm... There, I said it. <laughs> Crashed into the Earth. Uh, Mother Earth, I suppose. And uh, I suppose. Yeah. Voila. There we go. And that's the mailbag. 
thank you all for writing in. Feedback at whattheif.com is the email address. Uh, or tweet us up on at whattheifshow. Here we go. This is a game show where we are going to... What, how do you say it, Matt? We're going to mess with the universe. We're going to mess with the universe. I have a lever here. I have actually 50,000 levers here, but there's a particular one for this particular project submitted to us by Kyle Crichton, Master Iffer, super fan. And here we go. Kyle Crichton asks, What the if... Well, now, yes, what the if the moon suddenly disappeared? And there was another idea you mentioned, by the way, someone else had asked, what if there were two moons? Yep. So here we're going to do an unusual thing. We're going to follow two ifs. Two moons, no moon. What the half if? Half a moon? <laughs> half a... Half, I like half a moon. <laughs> and here we go. So, quick, give me an image... Of, uh, so no moon, that's an easy thing to, uh, to imagine. Yeah, that's right. It's kind of sad, um, I feel like. No, no moon to look at. Yeah, you just get rid of it, right? Boom. I mean, the moon's not, moon's not always visible in the sky anyway. So, that's true. So day to day, you might not notice. And if we're specifically doing the moon disappears, then that suggests it was here for a while and then left or the aliens took it or something like that. So we don't have to worry about like removing it from, from human history or biology. So I guess that's convenient, right? One of the things that the moon does is it drags on us a little bit. You, you, you never notice it. What a drag. The, the moon is very slowly slowing down the rotation of the earth. Mm. How? It's and not touching the earth. How, how can that be? It's not. I know it's rather uh, spooky, as uh, as some people used to say. But the, the gravity of the moon um, uh, drags on the earth and actually has, has this odd effect of, of making our years a little slower. Oh, is that why we have to have leap years? No, but it is why we have to have leap seconds. Oh, uh, every every few years, and it's usually not an actual whole second. It's usually you know uh, a fraction of a second. Every few years, the the folks who control the the fine atomic clocks out in Colorado, on which you know your phones are calibrated for for time and things like that, decide that uh, uh, the year has gotten a little bit longer. And they will add a fraction of a second to the current calendar. How do they uh, know that? Are, are they look, looking at stars or something? How do they? Yeah. So it turns out that something like a year can be defined in a couple of different ways. Right. So there's the, uh, the solar year, which is when the sun comes back to the same place in the sky. Uh-huh. And there's the sidereal year, which is when the stars are back to the same place. And because the, because the Earth both 
loops around the sun and spins on its axis. Those two things aren't quite the same. Sidereal. Oh, interesting. I always, in my mind, pronounce that sidereal. I have heard people pronounce it that way as well. Oh, okay. Um, but, um, but you know, astronomers aren't really social people, so they don't talk to people much, so no, they don't care how things are pronounced. Exactly. And a lot of these terms are Latin, too, and Latin's a dead language, so you get to pronounce it however you want. Oh, right. convenient, actually. Take yeah. advantage of the dead. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> dead what are they going to do, complain? Yeah. So, sidereal year is... Uh, usually the point of reference because it's more stable uh, over time and easier to measure as well. So if you're watching to see when those stars are back in exactly the same place in the sky, you notice that they should be caught up, as it were, but uh, they're a quarter second off. So That's we amazing they can measure. So they can measure the sky... Mm-hmm. With that kind yeah, of the, the, the accuracy with which astronomers can measure things in the sky is just mind-blowingly fantastical. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, so so the so the moon drag. So without the moon, if there was, if there had been no moon, mm-hmm. we would um, not need this second. We would not these need these little leap seconds that we get. Yeah, right. So you probably wouldn't notice that in your lifetime. But uh, the the I should say the end effect of all of that lunar drag in like I I'd have to look it up, but in hundreds of millions of years will be to despin the Earth. Oh wow! So eventually we just uh, hang out and stop stop spinning altogether. So the moon really is a drag. It totally is. It's, it's a real s- bummer. It's a little bit selfish too. It's like. The moon is saying, I have to show you my same face all the time. Yeah, so you're going to have to do You, yeah. and I wonder which side it would choose. Oh, that is an interesting question, actually. I wonder... If, you could calculate that, I bet. I wonder if... I presume, I'll bet you could calculate it. That would be a tricky thing, but I'll bet it could be done. That'd be cool. And then, and then you should buy, buy real estate accordingly. Yeah. So it's right... So your new beach house is right under where the moon is going to be in the sky all the time. That would be really be cool. That'd be uh, really cool. Unless, unless you are actually an astronomy fan and you're going to want to be on the dark side. So there is going to be a oh, future yeah. separation of humanity where people who love astronomy and dark skies are all going to live on one side of the planet. It's yeah. not going to be a very populated side of the planet. Even better, lesser problem with light pollution. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody else will be under the moon. Werewolves. All the werewolves will be on one side <laughs> of the planet. Cool. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, so then we'll, you know, gradually split into two separate species, one that likes the dark and one that likes the light. And, yeah. Uh, and then because we're humans, go to war with each other probably. Yeah. That, that does sound like a particular science fiction fantasy space opera series I've heard of with the dark and the light. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so if we get rid of the moon, then we never get that de-spin, unfortunately. Uh, and the Earth is uh, Earth is much more isolated. Yeah. Now, my guess is, I wonder if that de-spinning um, that the, the moon we do have is causing would be able to stop the Earth, um, in reference to the moon, in relation to the moon anyway, 
before the sun blows up? Um, I think it will. Like I said, I'd have to check on exactly what the time scale is. So within the next four or five billion years. Yeah. And the sun's blowing up is is going to be a uh, low speed affair anyway. It's not the kind of thing where you outrun the shock wave. Uh, it's going to be the kind of thing where you gradually watch it get bigger and bigger in the sky. Oh, okay. So no rush. All right. Yeah. All right. So two moons. Yeah. Two wow. Moons. Two moons. What's going to happen there now? Now there's a lot of questions there about, are they the same size? Yep. Are they equidistant? From, yeah. How does that work? Yeah, so there's a lot of possibilities here. You know, for, say, Jupiter or Saturn that have lots and lots of moons and dozens of moons, mm-hmm. they vary enormously in size. So if we wanted to, to, to use them as our, our template, we'd say it's, it's unlikely that we'd have two moons the same size, especially one the size of our moon, which is huge. So relatively speaking— our moon is really, really big, right, compared to us. Usually moons are much, much tinier uh, than the, uh, the planets that are around. So odds are it would be a smaller moon. And then the question is, how close? How far? You know, is, is the new moon inside the orbit of our old moon or outside it? Now, looking at the other planets that have big moons and small moons, do we find anything like the, the very small ones are farther out? Sometimes, I guess. I don't know if there's a I don't know if there's a strong pattern there. There's probably an accidental pattern because of this, which is that our moon's orbit around us is relatively stable. It's a little wobbly, changes a little bit from from moment to moment. Um, but for the most part, it's pretty stable. And that's because you can um you can sort of imagine that the two of us are isolated in space and it's just the earth's gravity holding the moon in place and the moon zooms around. But as soon as you add another moon in there, now you've got what's called the three body problem. Oh yes. Right. So now it's not just the earth's gravity pulling on the moon and the moon's gravity pulling on the earth, but now we've got the new moon's gravity pulling on the old moon and sort of battling uh, the Earth's gravity for influence there. All three bodies are in motion, so the direction of those gravitational tugs changes from moment to moment and from day to day. And that turns out to be difficult to, to get stability. That is, the, the most likely scenario is that one of the moons will crash into the other, or into us. Which is why if we find one, if there had been a second one now, it probably, and it had made it, it had survived all this time, it would be pretty distant. It would probably be far out, yeah. Yeah, so that's the, that's the easiest solution to the three-body problem, is put two of them very close together and one of them very far away. Now, the three-body problem isn't, first of all, not... Every time we mention the three-body problem, I have to give a shout-out to, uh, is, is it Chi in, Chi in Lu? The, uh, is his um, name? I do not know the right way to pronounce it, but yes. The, the, the science, science fiction problem. trilogy, the three-body problem. Man, if you like this show, listen to that. Because yes. That, yes uh, right. Listen to that. I, I happen to listen to the audiobook. Read that series. 
Incredible. Now, isn't the idea that, do I have it correct, that the three-body problem is an unsolvable problem? It's like a chaotic That problem. is correct. Yep. What does that mean? Does that, is it hard or it's literally unsolvable? So that's a really important distinction, um, the difference between hard and unsolvable. So in physics and astronomy, you'll often get an equation that describes a situation you're interested in. So in this case, the motion of three bodies just determined by gravity. And then you want a solution to that equation. And ideally, you want another equation that is the solution to the first equation. And that equation will let you calculate exactly whatever you want for any time in the future. So this is called an analytic solution, where the solution to the, the mystery is a new equation. And that equation lets you calculate arbitrarily whatever you want. So if you... Like when you take physics 101, all the problems are carefully chosen so they have analytic solutions. So you can get a very, so you can get a clear, precise answer. Unfortunately, most of the universe does not do that. The, the solar system does not sit around coming up with orbits that are easy to calculate for our benefit. Um, so instead, what you usually have to do is get an approximate solution or what's sometimes called a numerical solution, in which you know you can't get the right answer, the, the answer you really want. So you figure out a way to calculate something very close to it. And depending on how much time you're willing to spend, you can calculate as long as you want to get a, a more and more precise answer. But you can never get the analytic solution that you want. You just get one particular number. So, meaning that it's impossible? That's right. So, Absolutely so it is, impossible. It is impossible to get an analytic solution to the three-body problem. There is no single elegant equation that you can use to calculate where those three bodies will be at any point in the future. But what you can do is say, all right, I'm specifically interested in next Tuesday – and I really only care about one of those three bodies. So I'm going to do an approximation uh, that ignores the other two bodies and is only going to be good for short periods of time, but nonetheless will tell me where that is. So that's so for instance, the orbit of every satellite, or let's say the ISS, right? The orbit of the ISS um, is determined by the Earth's gravity. Yeah, International Space Station. The moon's gravity tugs on it as well. So that is so technically we have a three body problem going on right now on the ISS. Wow. But we say the moon is so far away, relatively speaking, and the mass of the ISS is so small that we can ignore the three part <laughs> part of the three body problem and just pretend it's a two body problem. Meaning that we do know where the space station will be, fortunately for them. Mm -hmm. 
and that's and that works fine because in practical terms we're worried about where the ISS is going to be a week from now or a year from now so the fact that we can't easily calculate where it's going to be in 100 million years is not a particular concern if they've made it that long mm-hmm. they're that's doing right. fine <laughs> <laughs> then we can probably figure it out right um, so there's lots of problems like this in science that are not uh, solvable in an exact way. And I just have to emphasize this again. It's not that this is one of the strange things about math, right? It's, it's not that we're saying it's hard or that humans haven't figured it out yet, but it's possible or even there are certain situations where it is mathematically proven to be impossible to that is exactly right. Calculate. That just seems insane. Yep. But nonetheless, you've got this, this funny thing where for practical purposes, you can actually calculate it pretty well. Um, even if you can't get a perfect solution in the mathematical sense. Which just goes to show, by the way, the, we can never give enough kudos to the NASA and other space agency navigators that send things, you know, uh, send our satellites all the way across the solar system. Yeah. I mean, imagine the New Horizons meeting this incredibly tiny, relatively speaking, little Kuiper Belt object, Ultima Thule. I mean, to talk about three-body problem, they're going around a million Well, that's right. So, you know, the solar system has... You know, several planets, major planets, and then thousands of asteroids. So it's technically, you know, a 15,674 body problem. Whoa! (laughs) That's not going to work out for anybody. That's going to be a great novel. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'll wait for the movie. It's longer than the the three. It's a little longer. It's going to be more than a trilogy. I just realized that the three-body problem is also a trilogy. (gasps) <gasps> wow. And, and, and is it therefore unpredictable? Yeah. It's unpredictable. Yeah, every time you read it, it might be different. <laughs> Fascinating. So, so if we add a new moon, we're in this odd situation where we can no longer calculate our beautiful analytic solutions of, of things moving through the sky. But in practical terms, it'd probably be okay. The ISS probably won't come crashing down. Now, Kyle's question, the exact question was, what if the moon suddenly disappeared? Yeah. So there's a lot of questions there. How suddenly? And let's, I'm going to, even though we have the power as ifers to go to the totally irrational, instantly disappeared. That would raise so many questions. That actually would be fascinating. Like, oops. But what if, like, (laughs) one of my favorite series as a kid, television series, Space 1999, Mm -hmm. right? Isn't the story there that, was it something like, we kept garbage on the moon, or it was a nuclear explosion? I I think there was a big explosion, and it went flying off. Yeah. Yeah, the moon went flying away. As it 
moves away from us. Do we get to speed up? The, the dragging thing, no, I imagine it just becomes less drag. The, the drag will gradually dissipate as the moon gets further away, but we won't be speeding up at all. It's too bad. Uh, which is kind of disappointing, right? That would have been nice. And the tides, one thing we haven't mentioned with the moon is the tides. Right. Yeah. So the tides are influenced by uh, everything that has gravity around us. It just so happens that the moon is the, is the biggest convenient body that has this effect. So we would still have tides um, from the sun. Ah. So right now, the tides have, uh, have cycles that are a month long because of the influence of the moon. And then also a day long and a year long because of the sun. Because our interaction with the sun is both daily and annually. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the tides would be disrupted. We'd still get them, which would be nice. But their magnitude would be dramatically decreased as well. So if you're used to having a three-foot tide, it's probably going to be a few inches now. So the, the interesting thing I'm seeing here is that without a moon, whether it suddenly disappears or like Space 1999 slowly goes away mm -hmm. or we were never born with it, is that life is less dramatic. It, it's less interesting. It is less interesting. That's right. And we also get no eclipses. Oh, man, what a bummer. Yeah, and not only is it sort of a bummer, but the history of astronomy is a lot harder. Oh. Right. Because of because of general relativity or No, not even not even that actually. It's um you know, if we think about science as being spotting natural laws and figuring out the regularities of the world, some of these are really easy to see. The sun rises every day. Some of these are really uh, hard to see, you know, quantum tunneling. Okay. And the, the early days of science, by which I mean like the Babylonians, okay, the trick is finding the patterns that aren't obvious but are still solvable. Right. So not because three body two, problems. That's right. Yeah. If they're, if the, you know, if you're starting from zero, you're not going to figure out the three body problem right from the start, right? It's too complicated. You need to be able to bootstrap yourself up. You need some, some easy problems to solve first. Right. So some of the easy problems are things like how long does it take Mars to get back to the same spot on the sky? Okay. So if you just sit there and watch, you'll figure that out. But then ecl solar eclipses are significantly harder because they vary from location to location on the Earth. So you need kind of a network of observers in a way you don't for Mars. Uh, but also the, the cycle with which it repeats, uh, with which they repeat, is weird. You know, it's 13 years, four months, and six days or something. I can't remember what the sorrow cycle is off the top of my head. So it takes a fair bit of work to figure that out. 
But then once you do, you've got a whole new powerful tool that you didn't before. And then once you then you can start figuring out patterns among the patterns. Say, okay, if Mars goes like this and solar eclipses go like this and Venus goes like this, then maybe we get Newtonian gravity. Whoa. So you're saying with it, it's not just that the solar eclipse is so dramatic it drew people's attention to it which is one thing, and said, think about this, think about this, think about this, but also that literally it provides a lesson that is un, uh, it doesn't exist in any other form. Yeah, that's right. Wow. So without solar eclipses, you have to kind of jump right to Kepler's laws, say. So uh, solar eclipses are really have been really convenient for the history of astronomy, because it seems to me that they're just the right amount of complicated and just the right amount of simple to help get people thinking about these more complicated patterns that are out there. Now, I love this because this is really a professor's view of the universe. Yeah, this is totally my idiosyncratic. That, that there is an introductory lesson that is provided <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> to help the students understand yep. that's very cool and and in fact also perhaps the space our our space race or whatever you call it our, our abilities to send people into space mm-hmm. without the moon there we would have had to gone right to mars would have had to been the first place and we might not even have been there yet yeah and that's a that's much much harder All right yeah so it's the same kind of bootstrapping thing then i should say that's one of the themes in um in the, in the three body problem, the novel is that the the aliens live in a very complicated solar system gravitationally, so they have a very hard time figuring out the basic laws of celestial dynamics. But once the, so, it takes them much much longer than it takes us to figure these things out. But once they do figure it out, they're really really good at it. Ah, uh, right. Right. So if I rem- if I remember the story right, it's like tens of thousands of years before they figure out what takes us a couple thousand years, depending on how you count. But And literally, uh, their lives depended on it. Exactly, right. They have three suns, and mm-hmm. so it's, yeah, they go through crazy, crazy cycles of freezing and warming. <laughs> wow, that's fascinating. So, so the moon is many things to us. It is entertainment. It is mm-hmm. beauty. It is, provides the tides. Tides, yeah. Place to dispose of our garbage. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it, it uh, provided a place for us to go first, and it, it really was, as you said, it was physics or a- astrophysics, orbital mechanics 101. Mm-hmm. The moon, look up at the moon and, and look at the face on the moon. We call it the man on the moon, but it could have been, you know. It's well, some uh, uh, Europeans do, yeah. But like in China, it's a rabbit in the moon. Oh, really? Oh, See, I like that. Look at the rabbit on the moon and say thank you. That's my. That's our one of our first teachers. Yeah, there's our physics teacher right there. The rabbit on the moon. There's a good title, by the way. The rabbit on the moon. rabbit on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I should say the, the Chinese lunar rovers that have been landing recently all have rabbit-related names. So the first one, Jade Rabbit, and so on. So that's not an accident. Ah, that's beautiful. By the way, I, I got to follow up more with that. That's that's a fascinating story. I've not been following enough that rover on the Chinese rover on the moon. Incredible. Yeah, doing cool, doing cool stuff. Doing cool on the far side of the moon. Kudos. So, wow, Kyle Crichton, thank you so much for this amazing 
uh, what becomes an appreciation of the moon experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, basically, the answer to your question, what would happen, what, what the if the moon suddenly disappeared, it would suck. <laughs> <laughs> but because it is there, we can celebrate all the things that, all the wonders we have because of it. Yay. Kyle, you are going to receive, I believe, your third finger puppet oh. from the Unemployed Philosophers Guild, philosophersguild.com. Who, who? give us the wonderful treat of being able to to offer prizes if you submit an idea that we use like kyle you will receive a wonderful finger puppet of a scientist or science fiction character or anything now what if you want one of these and you 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 haven't had an idea used on the show you can still get 10 percent off because they uh, the 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 unemployed philosophers guild appreciate all of us and so if you go to philosophersguild.com you can buy anything doesn't have to be just a finger puppet they have all kinds of smart funny toys for smart funny people I mean one of my favorite is there's a mug a Star Trek transporter mug where it's it's just a picture of the empty transporter bay and you put something hot in there and everybody beams aboard your cup they appear on the cup super cool 10% off if you enter the coupon code here it comes W-T-I-F for what they if. W-T-I-F. Coupon code, you get 10% off. Buy anything you want. Treat yourself. Go to our website if you want to hear all of our other episodes. Whattheif.com. That's it. You can subscribe. Click the subscribe link there and it'll ask you, what do you like? You want some Apple? You want some Android? Boom. You're done. You gotcha. Got what you need. Yeah. And by the way, when you click that, also click that, probably change it to subscribe or review. Leave us a review, please. Like like all the wonderful reviews other folks have been doing, it really helps people discover the show because iTunes uh, reviews are used on all other pod uh, advertising services. You can also learn about us. Click the about button and you can find out what these guys are like. Insane. One moon, two moon, three moon. Who? who, the, The gall. The knife. These people messing with my universe. You can find out who we are. Email us feedback at whattheif.com with your ideas for the show. Maybe you'll win a finger puppet if your idea gets used. Or just your comments, your thoughts. Commiserate. And on Twitter at what the if show. Boy, there's so many ways to find us. My God. So many ways. There's really too many. Uh, eventually, uh, don't pray for monopolies, but certainly simplify things in the world. Next week. Actually, next week coming up, we have a very special guest. I'll leave that until that episode comes, but uh, that's going to be super fun. But I have no, I don't know. Do you know? I don't know. Nobody knows. Um, that's right. That's one of the great mysteries. It is It is like, talk about the three-body problem. How about the ten-if problem? Yeah, that's way more difficult. It's impossible to solve. Who knows? And so when we ponder that problem, and I'm going to put this lever back so that the moon goes back, into its proper place. I have 50,000 other levers here, and one of them's going to get pulled next week. And when it does, we will scream and shout, What, what the, the if? If?